Welcome to the latest installment of the exclusive Yamaha Strings podcast interviews. Violinist and violist Mads Tolling has performed in dozens of countries and hundreds of venues around the globe. He performs both as a chamber musician in formal concert halls and as a soloist and band member in jazz clubs. He is currently the violist in the Grammy Award-winning Turtle Island String Quartet, jazz violinist with bassist Stanley Clark, and the composer, arranger, and educator. Mads has been a featured guest on NPR and has recently been featured on the covers of Strings Magazine and American String Teachers Association Magazine. As a busy touring musician, he takes time to sit down at the ASTA convention in Detroit, Michigan to talk to Yamaha Strings product manager Heather Mansell. Please join us for this podcast interview while Heather talks to Mads about his life and career as one of the most talented and accomplished string players of the jazz world. We're here at the ASTA 2007 conference in Detroit, Michigan. It's snowy, cold, but uh, it's a good time. And busy conference, we're at the Renaissance Center, uh, which is GM headquarters. And Mads, you just flew in this morning from San Francisco. Are you tired? You bet I am. (laughs) But you're ready to perform. So where did you play last night? Well, I was actually um, in Oakland last night and Mm -hmm. performed at a venue called Yoshi's which is a great jazz club in the Bay Area, and I performed with Stanley Clark. Is that a regular gig for you? Yeah, it has been for the past uh, four years or so. I've been, uh, actually he was kind of the first major artist I, I came across and had a had the opportunity to perform with. Yeah. And um, of course he's an amazing bass player. He heard about me from uh, Jean-Luc Ponty, mm-hmm. who actually, yeah, he recommended me to him and um, sent, I just sent, sent him a CD and said, well, you know, I might as well, you know, I didn't expect much. And he called me back and said, uh, you're hired <laughs> for this tour. And then since then, we just kept playing together. Great. So you're doing some touring with Stanley? Yeah, well, we just played at um, Yoshi's. And I'm actually going to go back after this gig <laughs> and play on Sunday night yeah. at Yoshi's. And then we're playing in Santa Cruz. And last couple of weeks ago, we were down in Long Beach, where I, I believe you live. Yes, so, I do so. live there. Yeah, that was very, yeah, it was very nice. And uh, so we, we tour, you know, on and off. So getting to this gig, this gig is the ASTA Conference, which is American String Teachers Association, and Turtle Island is doing the gala concert tonight. Have you played here before? I have, and that was uh, twice with Stanley Clark, actually, and we played at a place called Shane Park. Um, and uh, we actually had the view that we pretty much have from here, mm-hmm. where you can see Windsor in Canada, the Canadian flag on the other side. It was very neat. It was one of my first professional gigs, and there must have been about five or six thousand people out there, uh, predominantly Af- African Americans, and so it was kind of my uh, baptism in a way. You know, I kind of, I was nervous, but I, I, I got through it, and people loved the show. So it was, it was very inspiring. I had a, had a great experience here to play before. Great. Sure. And uh, have you played for Asta before? Have you done anything with Asta with yourself or the quartet? No, this is my first time uh, being in, in this ASTA conference, and um, I have to say it looks quite large, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the concert tonight. It's going to be interesting.
2006 was a really good year for you and for the quartet. Tell us about winning a Grammy. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience and totally out from left wing, if I may say so. I mean, it was, we were nominated for a crossover album with the, the Ying Quartet, and they're a great classical quartet, and we're more of an alternative jazz quartet. Uh, so we were nominated in classical crossover category, which fit, you know, just fit perfectly in that category. But, you know, still we didn't, I didn't really expect we were going to win because we are in a very tough competition with the Moscow Symphony and with Paquito de Rivera, just big names all together. But, you know, they called our names and uh, just went up there. We're really excited. We're, you know, just hugging each other. An out-of-body experience? Out-of-body experience, yeah, when they, when they said... Four plus four with Turtle Island Quartet. I was like, wow. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, in the first one minute or so, I was in shock. I just didn't think we won, but it was us. And um, so uh, we, and of course, we went around to the various photo shoots. It was great. There, there were 12 photographers snapping shots of us all over the place. And then uh, the press conference. And, and it was interesting at the press conference, the reality kind of kicked in because there were about, 50 guys sitting with their computers typing, you know, very seriously. And so when uh, the, the announcer asked, anybody heard of Turtle Island Quartet? There was one guy who raised his, <laughs> his hand and said, yeah, I heard of it, you know, and then he asked a few questions. That was, that was it. They were all waiting for Paul McCartney and Madonna, you know, of course. But um, it, was, it, was, it was a great experience, and it's really helped the group, I believe, in terms of getting better gigs, better bookings. Uh, more notoriety out there and kind of elevate better paycheck better paycheck sure <laughs> and kind of getting us to the point where we're you know respected in the scene so that's it's a very good thing for us so I guess it didn't always start out very glamorous because you started not even in the United States as a jazz musician you started in Denmark so tell us about how you started well Denmark can be glamorous <laughs> I don't it's know. just five, about five million people as opposed to three hundred, so there's a little <laughs> less people to make the glamour happen, I guess. Yeah, you know, I, I started um, in. I, I'm from Denmark, and uh, I started playing the violin when I was six, and I started with um, the Suzuki method, that um, is basically a method that takes the student to learn things by ear predominantly, and. Um, do you think that helped your jazz? I think that definitely helped my jazz. Yeah, I think, um, you know, jazz is all about that. It's all about picking up by things up by ear, listening to the other people playing, responding to them, you know, keeping away from the music a lot of times. You, I mean, if I brought, I mean, with Turtle Island, of course, the string quartet, but if I brought music and stage with Stan Clark, it would look funny at me. That's no question. And most bands would, you know. So, um, Definitely, it, it, it helped me a lot. And also I think the Suzuki, comp, uh, Suzuki teaching is all about playing together with other kids. So you're not nervous about playing together with 100 kids, you know, you just do it and uh, it's fun. And it's a very social way of, of uh, performing. playing jazz when I was around 16 I think was my first real experience 
playing jazz and improvising. Before that, I, I did have a band in, in middle school or so when I was 14, 13, where we played kind of Beatles cover tunes and Rolling Stones, and I would play the lead on the violin. and So that was sort of a jazz, you know, but not didn't really include improvising, but I really got into jazz, I think, first time when I heard Stefan Grappelli and Nils Henning Osterpeters and the great Danish bass player, of course, Stefan is, uh, you know, don't need any explanation. He's amazing, was amazing jazz violinist. Uh, I heard them play a recording, um, uh, and it was a, a, a tune called It's Only a Paper Moon. And uh, I just loved Stefan's solo on that one. I thought it was great, and I loved the whole swing feel and and the whole atmosphere around the, the concert. It was from... Uh, Danish venue called Tivoli Gardens. So um, I decided I'm gonna subscribe to solo, I'm gonna learn it from top to bottom. And um, it so happened to be a, a Danish jazz competition every year uh, recurring that I could actually play at. So where you're of course supposed to play a, a piece and then improvise your own solo, but I just thought, well, I, I can take his solo and use it there, nobody will know. And uh, I don't know if they did know, I, I did play the whole thing and people probably were very excited and I got first prize, so without really being able to improvise. But that was the first step for me to getting into improvisation and I believe that's a, a huge part of knowing how to improvise is imitating other people and then you start gathering vocabulary, gathering language that way and uh, eventually it will be your own solo, you know. So that, that's, that's kind of how I got into it. And then I, I listened to, of course, Miles Davis a lot. I just love his, his music. So that was one of my early influences, for sure. Um, and we've talked about this before, but you know, listening to other musicians that are not string players and imitating them as well. Right. And I think when you studied at Berkeley, some of your instructors were not string players at all. Right, yeah. It's true. Um, I didn't really go to Berkeley for the string program in particular, although it is great. I mean, Matt Glaser is a great friend of Turan and of mine too, and he's an amazing string player, string teacher. But yeah, I had the opportunity to study with some, some amazing musicians there, including Hal Crook, who's a great trombone player, probably one of the best teachers I've ever studied with. Just his whole vision of jazz and playing together in a band and improvising is so, so complete. Um, Joe Lovano, got there who's um, of course amazing player and um, John Burkeen who's a piano player uh, so I started with some very good people and they really helped me not just to see it as a string player see improvisation as a string player but you know be all the other instruments to be the drums be the bass be the piano and that's kind of what Turtle Island is about too we, we imitate all these different instruments and without just making a gimmick out of it, but actually making it work, you know, hopefully. <laughs> so, um, so that's that's been a great help to to know other instruments, study with other instrument instrumentalists for sure. as well. People probably don't know that, that you do solo work, not just playing with Turtle Island, not just playing with Stanley, but you do your own compositions. 
Yeah, that's right. It, particularly uh, during my time at Berkeley, I had great opportunity because of this recording studios there, there and all the amazing musicians, uh, students, as well as teachers. So, yeah, I did record uh, about three CDs of my original compositions, and I just I asked Joan Brickeen to play on it, and she said yes. I mean, I was very surprised she would do that, but that turned out great. That was a great recording with her. Yeah, just composing for me just was became a natural extension that of, of improvising. You know, it's kind of like when you know how to improvise and get into that language. You want to get it out on paper and write real detailed things what you of what you really like and what you really like to hear. So, um, yeah, so in that way, I, I composing was has just been a part of it. And then to this day, of course, now finally it's, it's getting out in the in the air with my arranging in terms of I have two arrangements of uh, mine on the um, on the new record that is coming out here in, April, in the late March of Turtle Island's I Love Supreme Legacy of John Coltrane that we're going to play tonight uh, a lot of those pieces um, so I'm excited about that. I guess you play both violin and viola tell us a little bit about that. Yeah well I think there's an interesting story there how, I, you, how you had to do so. your audition in viola. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's compared to the violin, the viola is sort of like driving through snow. You know, it's sort of harder to 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 get a sound out of. And um, I was a violinist till about 23, and then I got a call from Turtle Island, or from David Ball Christen, who was one of the violinists there, and he asked me, "Would you like to join the group uh, on viola?" And uh, I said, sure, you know, <laughs> that sounds interesting, you know. But, uh, and he asked, do you have any viola experience? I said, yeah, I have some. Although I'd never... <laughs> Total lie. <laughs> I'd never even touched a viola before, hardly. I had no experience. Um, but, you know, I had faith in that I could do it, and uh, we wouldn't be so different. And it turned out to be a little different, mainly to read the clef is, is harder. Uh, and I had about 10 days uh, when I first got my viola in my hand to learn, not just to play, but to learn most of the charts that we we're going to do at the first concert. So it was scary, you know, but I had time. I had about all the time I needed, six hours a day. I just went in my room and just practiced and got it done. And um, it, I guess it turned out okay. They offered me the, the opportunity to stay in the group and you know become a member, so it worked out okay. You've also done a lot of clinics, especially in the past year, for young string students. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I have, um, and I, I mainly did this in Canada for uh, for some in some Canadian cities such as Toronto and Vancouver and Saskatoon, and um, it it's been it's been great. I mean, just to to go out there, meeting young folks, getting them excited about playing alternative styles. That's been that's been a real trip for me. I mean, I I love the educational side of of music. Um, of, of kind of spreading the word and, and also because what we're doing is unusual so most young people don't know that you can do these things they don't know you can do the chop like the rhythm technique we do on, with the bow and the shuffle bow or they don't know what the blue scale is and all these things so it's like a whole new universe for them that opens up and, um, and that's really fun because it's different if you're a saxophone player because you have that available to you but as a string player it's a little harder to, to come across so, so yes, so I did some, some workshops where I taught him a, a piece called Stolen Moments and mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I learned how to taught them how to improvise, and we yeah. played it together. And using electric instruments. That's right. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to uh, use the Yamaha silent violin and viola, and um, yeah, that worked out great. And I think, I think for young people, it's easier for them to relate to electric instruments because they see, oh, it's alternative styles, jazz, so it's, it's electric, you know. And, and so they relate to that in another way, so they, it has to be that for them in order for it to be cool and they get excited about it. And I think that, that works. So I, I did a little bit of acoustic, a little bit of electric, and I like to, to compare the electric versus acoustic sound and do maybe a ballad on the, um, on the acoustic and do a, a more swinging jazz piece and the electric work. It seems to work really great. And... Um, also, I have, I've been using my bow, the uh, carbon fiber bow uh, of Yamaha's with the viola, has, I found work really great too, for jazz stuff actually. So, uh, yeah, how would you describe the difference? Like, why would you choose to play electric instrument versus an acoustic instrument on a particular piece? I, I, it has a lot to do with bow pressure actually for violin. Um, if you want to play a jazz piece, you don't want to use a lot of bow press. That's why when you hear classical, like Perlman playing jazz, I hope he's not listening to this, but anyways, I'm going to say <laughs> it anyways, but when you hear him play, it doesn't sound quite right because he uses too much bow pressure. You get that full sound, and that's not really what you want in jazz. So when you want to play a, a, a jazz piece, you want very light bow pressure, and those Yamaha instruments comply with that aspect of playing. You know, they when you use light bow pressure, it really sounds great with those instruments, you know. And the, but the sound comes out easily. You don't with acoustic instruments. The sound would be so small you can't even hear it. But with that, you can get a, a great sound out playing electric, but using very little force. That's why it's great. And then when you want to play a ballad where you use a little more bow, a slower piece, it's great on the acoustic because then you can really show the the, the sound of the wooden instruments. after college as a jazz musician yeah right I, <laughs> you went uh, off into the world to seek your fortune <laughs> yeah pretty much that's what happened I wasn't sure what was gonna happen a long time into it because um, as you know with America you have to have a reason to stay you got to have a visa so um, I was on a student visa and um, so I wasn't sure if I, tr I applied for schools actually when I was done with Berkeley or before I was done and um, I applied for a school called the Thelonious Monk Institute, which is an amazing jazz program in, uh, down in LA at the USC. And um, I, I actually was auditioned for the final, and uh, it was very scary because it's Herbie Hancock, Terrence Blanchard, Ron Carter, that are the, uh, the people that decide whether you get in or not. They're in the committee, so they were right there in front of us when we played. And um, so it was, it was intense, but actually I got accepted to it, so I had a tough decision because, of course, I was also in Stanley's band at that time, and then Turtle Island called. So there were these three options, and I kind of in, initially said no to Turtle Island. I said, look, I have to do the school. My parents were saying, do the school. And it just seemed like, you know, it seemed like perhaps the right decision. I, I could get a master's for free. I mean, it was... It was a great program. You would get a free apartment, all these things, 
anyway, so I started at the, at the school and realized that it still was a, uh, a school, ultimately. It wasn't, there were playing opportunities, but not on the scale that I could do with these other groups. So I decided to, to stop at the school and then join as a full member for Turtle Island. And then still, you know, playing with Stanley when I when I'm available, and of course my own groups and doing all these workshops I I have for Yamaha too so far, so uh, it's worked out okay. I think it was the right decision. You're just creating the balance of all the different things that you're doing as a as an artist. Right, I try to do it. It can be difficult. It can be difficult to do it all, and you want to do a lot of things as a musician, and sometimes you have to say no, and that, that's hard because. As a musician, you want to try to, you know, use all the opportunities you get for something good, you know, mainly just to come out and play. And that's really what I, that's when I decided that was the main thing I wanted to do was just to play, you know, and teach and do concerts and that sort of thing. So what's going on for this year? What's, what's new for 2007? What is new for 2007? Well, the future is always hard to, to know about, isn't it? But um, We'll see. We, we have, you know, the, the books full with Solan in terms of gigs. We're going to Mexico. We're, we're playing a lot in America. Um, uh, we have our, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we have a record coming out here in March. Um, the Legacy of Jim Coltrane, Love Supreme, that we recorded um, half a year ago. And we're very excited about that. That's going to be great. And, we have uh, our, our label behind us this time, which is Telarik, more so than with the first one. So we're excited about that. Um, and other than that, hopefully get also get to enjoy life a little bit. Maybe go to, I live in California, go to Yosemite maybe, or go skiing or something later this month. We'll see what happens. <laughs> and you know, uh, really just keep playing out. What I really want to put an emphasis on for myself is really get my own band together more. So. So I can start gigging with them, with, with them, and see what happens with that. So. And the question we're trying to ask everybody who does a podcast for Yamaha: What do you order at Starbucks? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> well, I um, I don't order any coffee because I don't drink coffee, but uh, <coughs> I do like their teas. So I would have to say I would probably go with the passion tea, I, either iced tea or. You know, Iced hot or tea. hot? Yeah, either, either one is good. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm perhaps a brownie or something like that <laughs> to, to tip it off. But I would say, um, you know, Tim Hortons is pretty good too. Oh, yeah, the Canadian content. You got to do yeah. it. <laughs> Tim Hortons, yeah, we were kind of in the middle right here in Detroit. So yeah. I got to include Tim Hortons, I think. Well, I'm thanks, sure. Mads. Thanks for a great interview and thanks for talking to Yamaha and all the people who admire you before your big concert tonight but it should be great. Thank you.